SEP Fanfic Readings presents Finding Hermione by Ebook Dragon Chapter 32 Confronting a Weasel January 13th Draco woke with a pervasive sense of dread. He had no problems going to confront Weasley about his actions. He could even admit to looking forward to it. He had a few things he wanted to say to Weasley before he was locked away for good. A few choice words for Weasley to ruminate on for the rest of his life. The part he dreaded was letting his soulmate anywhere near the man that tried to attack her. Harry had assured him repeatedly that he wouldn't let any harm come to Hermione and himself during the confrontation. Draco had insisted that Harry run him through every security measure he'd put in place for the encounter. He'd allowed Harry to make the necessary arrangements, partly because Harry had the skill set required for ensuring the safety of others. The wizard wasn't the youngest head or in the history of the Ministry of Magic just because of his famous name. The other part was because Draco knew it was Harry's way of attempting to assuage his guilt for Weasley's attack. Draco thought that it would be a long time before Harry was able to move past the things Weasley had done to Hermione and Minerva. His mate stirred against his side. She buried her face into the crook of his neck, her warm breath tickling along his collarbones. She had an arm and a leg thrown possessively over him. He could tell that she was fighting against waking up. He ran his fingers through her curls. He trusted that she would be safe from harm. What toll would Weasley's words have on her, though? How much more harm could Weasley inflict on Draco's family? He worried the stress of the confrontation would cause her to lose the babies. "'I can hear you fretting from here,' Hermione murmured into his neck. "'I wish you didn't need to do this,' he answered. "'I know,' she said quietly. "'I won't put myself at risk, but I need to know why he attacked us.' "'I could always ask him whatever you wanted and then share my memories with you,' he offered, knowing full well that she wouldn't go for it. She propped herself up on his chest, looking indignant. "'Did you expect me to go along with that?' she asked seriously. "'No.' he answered glumly. "'Stop worrying,' she chided. "'Harry's going to have him entrusted up like a Christmas goose.' "'I know,' Draco allowed. "'But words can hurt just as badly as a curse.' "'He doesn't have the power to hurt us any more,' Hermione said, kissing his chest along the scar Weasley left. "'We're going to find out why he did what he did. Then we're going to give him something to think about while he rots in jail.' He flipped her onto her back and loomed over her, "'What devious things is my lioness going to tell the weasel "'to torment him during his lonely years in prison?' "'She wriggled against him. "'Her soft hands teased feather-like caresses down his chest "'and across the planes of his stomach. "'I thought maybe you could help me with that,' "'she purred as she grasped his length in her hand. "'Are you trying to distract me?' he groaned. "'Or get me to think of ways to destroy Weasley?' "'Both!' She answered with a sigh as he leaned down to kiss her neck. Mm, feels good, she crooned when he bit lightly on the side of her neck. She started rubbing the head of his cock across her lower lips, coating him with her juices. He surged inside when she positioned him at her entrance. This is what I'm going to think about while we confront him, he said, starting to thrust and withdraw slowly. That I get to make love to you every day. Her channel grasped him as he plunged inside, drawing him deeper into her welcoming heat. He dipped his head down to taste her lips. I'll be thinking about how my cum is going to be dripping down your thighs. Why in the world would you be thinking that? She panted, arching up into him. It's going to be the only thing keeping me from killing him. 
Draco said, thrusting harder into her. The only way I'm going to be able to be calm enough for you to do this is to think about how wonderful my life is, because he fucked up. In probably the crudest way possible. There are times I like it when you act like a caveman, she moaned. Tell me what you're going to think about that's going to keep you calm. Draco obliged by letting the caveman loose. He pounded hard into her. The primal part of him urged him to mark his claim on her. You're my witch. My children are growing in your womb. The mark of my family is on your wrist. My cum will be running down your thighs, and every male will know you're mine. Her muscles were tensing around him. She arched under him, mewling in pleasure. She shattered around him, crying out loudly. Her wet, hot pussy squeezed his cock and he groaned. She was so sensitive after she came that she jumped and cried out as he continued to thrust into her. The sharp spasms of her cunt sent him over the edge. His eyes rolled back in his head as he came until he could feel her mingled juices dripping from around him. He collapsed in an exhausted heap onto her. Her arms came up around him, and she ran his nails up and down his neck. He found the scratch of her nails oddly relaxing and hummed in contentment. He turned his head to kiss her passionately. He moved to roll off of her, but she held him in place by throwing her legs over his hip. He propped himself up on her arm and continued to kiss her. She moaned against his mouth and started undulating her hips. His softened cock responded immediately to her undulations. Again? he asked, a little astounded. You did say you wanted me dripping, she responded, capturing his lips again. He growled against her mouth and set about claiming his mate. By the time they wandered downstairs for breakfast, she had jelly legs and a delicious smirk on her face. She sank gratefully into her chair and asked him to fix her a bowl of oatmeal. She kissed Rose on the forehead in greeting. "'Mummy, we're going to be late for school,' Rose informed them as she finished the last bits of her breakfast. Draco checked the time, and sure enough, Rose had to be at school in fifteen minutes. "'I'll take you when it's time,' Draco said. "'Since you're already dressed and finished eating, go wash your face and brush your teeth,' Hermione said, then reached out and twirled a curl out of her daughter's hair around her finger. "'When you get done, bring a brush down and I'll do your hair.' "'Can I have pigtails with green ribbons?' Rose asked as she hopped down from the chair. "'Absolutely,' Hermione answered. Rose skipped from the room, and the dining room door closed softly behind her. Hermione sighed as she took her first bite of oatmeal. "'What is it?' Draco asked, looking over at her with a bit of concern. "'I'll miss Minerva's red hair,' she answered, looking forlornly at her breakfast. Draco thought of Minerva's auburn locks and the way they'd fluttered in the breeze during their flight lessons. He also remembered how her hair had looked lying on the floor of her bathroom. "'It was beautiful,' he said solemnly. She wiped away a tear and shook herself. "'I'm sure it will look just as beautiful blonde, and she'll be happier now,' she said with a hard expression. "'Imagine his expression when you tell him she's my daughter now,' Draco said with a malicious gleam. He would look forward to watching Weasley's face as he realized Draco took one of his daughters from him. "'Should we even tell him?' she asked, looking unsure. "'It's up to you,' Draco answered. Rose bounded back into the room, brandishing a hairbrush in one hand and green ribbons in the other. Hermione turned her chair so that Rose could stand between her legs and face Draco while she did her hair. Draco ate his breakfast and watched Hermione and Rose with fascination. He was suddenly glad Scorpius was a boy as he watched Hermione brush Rose's curly hair, part it down the middle, pull each side up into a ponytail, and secure the pigtails with ribbons. She did it with practiced ease of a mother of girls and made the whole procedure look deceptively easy.
How do I look, Daddy? Rose asked Draco. Like a princess, Draco answered. Daddy, I'm supposed to look like a ballerina, Rose protested. Draco laughed at her exasperated tone. How silly of me. How about a princess ballerina? It's time for school, Hermione interjected, turning Rose to kiss her on the nose. And you look adorable. Be good and listen to your teacher. Draco got out of his chair and held his hand out for Rose. He dropped a kiss on Hermione's upturned lips as he passed by her chair. They took the flu to school, and Rose ran off to play with her friends on the playground after giving him a smacking kiss on his cheek. Draco returned home to find Hermione still at the table, smiling at a letter in her hand. He kissed her temple and sat down to finish his breakfast. "'Who's the letter from?' he asked in curiosity. She handed the letter to him and said, "'The children wrote to both of us.' Draco took the letter and read through it. "'Dear Mom and Dad, we decided to write one letter to save parchment and an owl. All is going well here. We are helping Minerva catch up on all her missed work. Peeves dumped mop water all over James when he got stuck on the trick step on the grand staircase, and Professor McGonagall scolded him for walking around the school in wet robes and leaving puddles before she dried his robes for him. He got a cold because of it. James was stubborn and refused to let me teach him how to dry off his robes. He had to go to the infirmary and get a pepper potion. I am doing fine. I'm sure you're wondering. I haven't had any nightmares. The Slytherins have all been very supportive. No one has given me any trouble about all the changes. Of course no one's given her trouble. The older Slytherins made such a big deal about her being the first Malfoy daughter in five centuries. She's practically treated like a princess. Drake has started calling her the Serpent Queen as a joke. Not to a face, of course. Mother, please apologize to Aunt Daphne and Uncle Theo. I am going to strangle their son. Wait, if they're the baby snakes, does that make me their queen? Oh, I think I could get used to that. Oh, dear, Merlin, help us. Prayers won't help you, dear brother. I'd like to request that my tiara be mailed to me so that I may appropriately reign over my loyal subjects. She gets a tiara? If she gets a tiara, then I want the Malfoy talk. Scorpius is pouting because I told him Nana Sissa gave me three tiaras. I'm not pouting. He is pouting. We have to go now. Scorpius has to take this to the Owlery before curfew, and I need to resume my studying before classes start tomorrow. Love you both. Send Rosa love. Dad, I gave Florence a bracelet since I didn't feel like doing it during Christmas break, and she loved it. She kissed me on the cheek, and she said she'd wear it every day. Love you, Mom and Dad. Give Rose and Tansy and Nana a big hug from us. All our love, Minerva and Scorpius. P.S. Florence says Minerva is doing fine. She said she slept through the night without any nightmares. "'Good Lord, what have we unleashed?' Draco said with a laugh and set the letter down. "'I have a feeling letters to home are going to be much more interesting now,' Hermione responded with a laugh. "'Are you ready to head over to the Ministry?' "'As ready as I'll ever be,' Draco answered with a sigh and heaved himself up out of his chair. "'Can we have a quiet day at home after this?' "'Hopefully,' Hermione answered. "'I have a feeling I'm going to need a nap after this morning's activities and the upcoming confrontation.' Hermione took his proffered hand and stood, smoothing down her black sheath dress and slipping back into her red, pointy-toed pumps that Draco loved because they made her legs look fantastic. "'We could stay here and take a nap,' Draco offered, waggling his eyebrows suggestively. Hermione smacked his chest playfully and led the way out of the dining room and into the study. "'Stop stalling. Let's get this over with.' Their arrival into the atrium of the Ministry of Magic went unnoticed for roughly three seconds— then a reporter called out their arrival loudly, and they found themselves swarmed by a dozen eager reporters, all calling questions without waiting for any to be answered. 
How are you recovering from your attack, Mr. Malfoy? What curse was used on you, Mr. Malfoy? Miss Granger, can you tell us if your husband attacked your lover in a fit of jealous rage? Mr. Malfoy, do you hold Mrs. Granger responsible for getting you injured? Mr. Malfoy, are you going to dump Miss Granger for someone without so much baggage? Draco could feel himself starting to lose control. He itched to hex the reporters into oblivion now. Hermione reached up and touched his face, exposing her cuffed wrist with the Malfoy crest fully displayed to the onlooking reporters. Draco nuzzled slightly into her hand, breathed deeply, and put an arm around her waist. He turned them to face the reporters, and Hermione rested her cuffed wrist on the lapel of his suit jacket. "'Hermione and I thank you for your concern for our well-being, and that's of our family during this trying time.' "'All right, that's enough,' Harry called, pushing through the crowd at the head of the group of oars. Harry greeted Hermione with a hug and a kiss on the cheek. He shook Draco's hand, and somehow managed to look pleased to see them and determined to get this all over with, all at the same time. Draco noticed the bruised knuckles on Harry's hand and looked at him with a question. Harry just shrugged a shoulder and turned to face the reporters. The flash of cameras captured the entire interaction. "'Mr. Potter, how do you feel about having to arrest your best friend for attacking his wife's lover?' a reporter called from the back of the group. The same reporter that asked about Draco dumping Hermione. Draco made a note of the man, short, balding, and paunchy. If he kept up his line of questioning, he would be out of a job before he could say Quidditch. "'Let's go,' Harry said tersely, ignoring the reporter. Harry led them to the bank of elevators. The elevator stopped several floors down on a level Draco had hoped he'd never see again. Draco shivered as he took in the black walls and chill, dank air of the ministry dungeons. The echo of the shoes of the oars on the black marble floor brought back memories of the time he spent here waiting his trial. Harry stopped before a large iron door and unlocked it with a tap of his wand. He opened the door and stepped into the room. Hermione and Draco followed Harry. Draco took in the white-tiled walls and the floor of the room, a stark contrast to the dark walls and floor of the hallway. The lighting overhead made the whole room glow. Weasley sat stiffly on a chair towards the back of the room. The chair looked similar to the one he'd been bound to during his trial. A clear wall separated the room in half with Weasley on one side and them on the other. A white sofa sat on their side of the wall, facing Weasley. In the corner of the room sat a witch he didn't expect to be here. Luna Lovegood sat behind a small writing desk, with a stack of parchment and a purple quick-quotes quill, the kind the Ministry used for quickly taking statements, not the green ones that reporters used for embellishing stories. She had radishes dangling from her ears and a necklace of bottle caps around her neck over horrid puce-green robes. Hermione noticed the strange witch as well and looked questioningly at Harry before greeting Luna. "'Hello, Luna.' "'We didn't expect to see you here today.' "'She volunteered to record the proceedings,' Harry said by way of explanation. "'We thought you'd prefer someone you know. "'Now, we are running late this morning, so let's get this over with.' "'I told you the Malfoys would be thirty minutes late,' Luna said with a sigh. Draco was a little surprised to hear Hermione and himself referred to as the Malfoys. "'Yes, yes, male dominance and all that, I remember,' Harry said impatiently, his ears turning a little red. "'Let's get this over with.' Hermione and Draco turned from Luna, who resumed her seat behind the table in the corner. They looked over at Weasley bound to a chair behind the glass partition. The last weeks had not been kind to the wizard that glared back at them. He had fresh bruises on his face like he'd been punched repeatedly recently, and a scraggly growth of beard. His eyes, though, were what startled Draco the most. Hatred the likes of which Draco had never seen poured from his eyes at the occupants in the room. Draco drew Hermione to him protectively as they seated themselves on the sofa facing Weasley. 
Hermione placed her hands demurely in her lap and crossed her ankles. Draco sat on her right, so that his wand hand was free to protect them if necessary. He wasn't making the same mistake twice. His left arm rested on her shoulders in a blatant display of protectiveness and possessiveness. He watched Hermione as she assessed the man she'd been married to for thirteen years. He wondered what was going through her head as she took in his appearance. He saw sadness flit across her face, then anger and determination as Weasley continued to glare at them. She narrowed her eyes at Weasley, then turned to look at Harry. Was the Veritaserum administered? Yes, Luna spoke up. Fifteen minutes ago. It should be taking effect now, and I have more of it if it wears off before we are finished. She looked over at Weasley with a surprisingly stern expression. For the record, what is your name? Ronald Billius Weasley, Weasley ground out through clenched teeth. His neck strained, as he seemed to try to fight the incarcerous spell that held him bound to the chair. Remember to ask questions, Harry said, and gestured to Hermione and Draco to proceed. Draco looked at Hermione. He cared very little about questioning Weasley. He didn't have questions for him. Hermione would probably ask all the important ones anyway. He was here for Hermione. And vengeance. Why? Hermione started in a firm voice. Why did you attack me that day? Weasley continued to glare at them. Because you took everything from me, he spat with vehemence. What did Draco and I take from you? She asked with a slight waver in her voice, aghast at his response. Everything, Weasley answered evasively. What specifically did I take from you? Draco asked angrily. If looks could kill, Draco imagined he'd be dead a hundred times over by now. The malevolence coming off Weasley was palpable. He was glad they were separated by a glass wall. To start, you took her, Weasley spat, nodding at Hermione. There was always something that drew her to you. She defended you when we all knew you were just a good-for-nothing Death Eater. She became friends with your mother, despite my telling her not to. I could have fixed what happened between us if you hadn't stepped in on that day at the platform. She would have taken me back, but you turned her against me. Hermione tensed up at that statement. No doubt Weasley meant he could obliviate her into a compliance again. She looked ready to protest his statement, but Draco placed a hand on her shoulder to stop her. Weasley was talking, answering questions without much prodding. Weasley fixated on Draco. The loathing was pouring off of him like a tidal wave seeking to destroy them all. Then you started taking my kids. You convinced Rose to start calling you Daddy and to stay away from me. You made Minerva believe you were a better father than me. You took my right to teach my kids to fly. It was hard to keep his mouth closed at that. Weasley had the chance to teach his daughters to fly, and he'd almost gotten Minerva killed through his negligence. Weasley started turning red. His voice came out in an angry snarl. You took my best friend. He didn't want anything to do with me after that day on the platform. We've been friends since we were eleven years old, and you came in and convinced him I was a bad guy. Harry snorted in derision of Weasley's assessment of the friendship that had developed between the two former rivals. Was Weasley that dense to believe that Draco had subverted their friendship? You took my family from me. They liked you better, respected you more. You deceived them into thinking you were better for Hermione and the girls. I saw the pictures. I saw you deceiving her into loving you, and the pictures of you pulling her into your group of friends and brainwashing her into thinking you were something better than what you are. Death eater scum! Weasley started mumbling and thrashing around, his head turning from side to side. Draco noticed Weasley's closed eyes like he was seeing the pictures flashing behind his lids. 
Pictures. Pictures of you always in the paper. Every time I opened the paper, there you were, taking something else away from me. So many pictures, watching my wife being seduced away from me. My daughters being taken from me. My friends. My family. Every picture, you're taking something away. Everywhere I went, people looked at me in disgust, pity, hatred. People ignored me. I got booed when I walked out with the cannons at the game. Draco heard a gasp from behind them. He stared incredulously at Weasley. They lived their lives. Those pictures were of them living their lives, going about their business. Weasley hadn't factored into their lives at all when those pictures had been taken. Weasley's gaze turned to Hermione. He dropped the loathing he'd thrown at Draco. Now he looked more like a petulant child. No one cared about me. No one cared about my side of the story. Reporters didn't hound me for details about our relationship. It was all Hermione Granger. I was just an inconvenient footnote in the story of Hermione Granger. Weasley's gaze landed on Harry to the side, and he spat. Just like I was a footnote in the history of the Second Wizarding War. The sidekick of Harry Potter. Harry was the hero, Hermione was the brains, and me. I was just the sidekick. Are you seriously telling me that everything you put us through was because you want the center of attention? Hermione asked incredulously. You don't know what it was like to be constantly being in someone's shadow. Bill, Charlie, Percy, even Fred and George. Why aren't you smart like Bill, or tough like Charlie, or studious as Percy? Or as funny as Fred and George? I never measured up. At school, I wasn't Ron Weasley. I was Harry Potter's friends. And when we got married, I was Hermione Granger's husband. I was never my own person. It was just an extension of someone else. And you thought killing me would make you your own person? Hermione asked. Apparently, there was enough question in Hermione's tone to compel Weasley to answer. I thought killing you would solve all my problems. Seeing you dead would destroy Malfoy if he truly cared for you, just before I killed him too. Once you were out of the way, I was going to tell the girls that you ran off with Malfoy and abandoned them. Draco sat flabbergasted at Weasley's reasoning, at his willingness to inflict pain on his own children to suit his own ends. Hermione's face took on that pinched look that she had when she was trying to contain her fury. And what about Harry? How did you think he would have reacted to my disappearance? Weasley shrugged. Once you were too out of the way, I'd stop filling his head with lies. He would have gone back to being my best friend. And what about Scorpius and Narcissa? Hermione persisted. Weasley curled his lip in derision. Death eater scum, no one would have listened to them. You are completely delusional, Hermione screeched. The dams had broken, and she finally let loose all the rage she had been holding in since Weasley started talking. You cheated on me for years. You obliviated me. You neglected our children and harmed Minerva through your negligence. I left when I found out about your secret life because I didn't want to be anywhere near you. Not because Draco brainwashed me. I stayed away from my own protection because I couldn't trust that you wouldn't try to obliviate me again. Draco barely kept Hermione from jumping up off the sofa and pacing in front of the glass, separating them from Weasley. Nonetheless, Hermione started gesticulating wildly as she tore Weasley apart. Draco didn't take anything away from you. You threw your life with me away. You're a spoiled child with a toy. You're never interested in it until someone else picks it up. You threw our family away. You can't throw a tantrum because someone else came along and values the thing that you threw away. I was willing to try to co-parent with you, to have you continue to be a part of our daughter's lives despite how misguided I was. It wasn't enough for you. You decided that my life and Draco's life were a fitting sacrifice to the altar of your pride and arrogance. You were willing to leave three children 
parentless over your stupid jealousy. No one in their right minds would believe that Draco and I would leave our children to run off together. There would have been no need. Draco's son is my son. My daughters are Draco's daughters. My children will never be Malfoy's, Weasley spat. I don't care what they call him. Malfoy will never be my child's father. Draco watched Weasley's face with barely concealed glee as Hermione pronounced, Minerva is now a Malfoy. Draco adopted her a few days ago. Your family agreed that it was best for Minerva because she had a difficult time accepting that her father tried to kill her mother. Rose will also have the choice when she's older to decide if she wants to officially become a Malfoy. I am done talking to you. I hope that you come to realize the damage you've caused was unnecessary. You'll have plenty of time to contemplate your choices in Azkaban. She rose from the sofa and walked to the door. When Drago didn't rise from his seat, she looked back questioningly at him. I have a few things to say to Weasley. I'll be right there if you want to wait outside with the oars. She nodded, and Harry opened the door and let her out of the room. Draco turned back to Weasley, still bound to the chair. His eyes still held the manic hatred that he'd maintained all day, but had lost the slightly golden tinge from being administered Veritaserum. Draco wondered if Weasley had gone a bit mad. Draco stood and faced Weasley. Do you remember the day at the burrow, when I told you that I would make sure you were only a fading memory to Minerva and Rose if you screwed up? Draco didn't bother to wait for an answer to his question. He continued in a calm, cold voice, the ice to Hermione's fire. I knew you would eventually fuck up and make those girls never want to see you again. I was willing to bide my time and let you. I didn't expect you to do such a spectacular job of it, though. Draco thought about applauding Weasley for his stupidity, but contained himself. Draco channeled his father's look of derision as he looked down on a defeated foe. I'll do everything in my considerable power to make sure you rot in Azkaban for the rest of your life. Your daughters will eventually forget you were ever their father. While you rot in prison, I'll be their first dance partner. I'll be there to watch their Quidditch games, and chase off the boys I think aren't good enough for them. I'll be there when some young wizard comes to ask me for their hand in marriage. I'll be there to walk them down the aisle and watch as they marry worthy wizards that will treat them like the treasures they are. While I'm there for every part of their lives, you will be in prison. We will go on about our lives and forget all about you, but I am willing to bet you'll never forget about us. That thing you hate the most about your life, being a footnote in other people's stories, you brought that on yourself. You had it all. A loving family. A beautiful, intelligent wife that loved you. Two beautiful daughters. I'm not sure about your life with Lavender Brown and your children with her, but I'm sure they were worth more consideration than what you gave them. Your sons and daughters will grow up without you, and I'm sure that's not a bad thing. You brought this on yourself, Weasley. I hope you rot. You deserve it. Draco turned his back on Weasley and crossed to the door. Luna gathered her sheath of parchment and quill. Harry opened the door, and they all left the room without giving Weasley a backward glance. Draco found Hermione leaning up against a wall outside the room. He crossed quickly to her and put an arm around her waist. "'How are you?' he asked, cupping her cheek and kissing her tenderly. She melted into his embrace. "'I'm glad that's over,' she answered with a sigh. "'After the trial tomorrow, we won't ever have to see him again.' "'Let's go home and start forgetting about him.' Draco said. "'What did you say to him after I left?' she queried. Draco shrugged. "'Oh, you know, 
male-dominance, caveman stuff. Hermione laughed and turned to Harry. I meant to ask you, Harry, why are your knuckles bruised? Harry looked at Hermione with a look of such profound sadness that Draco drew her closer to his side. I'll never tell, Harry answered mournfully. I wish I'd done it sooner, though. Hermione looked quizzically at him, and opened her mouth to question him further when Luna cleared her throat. "'I need to deliver these to the MLE,' she said, indicating the parchment in her hand. "'I would like to talk to you both in private some time today, though.' "'Of course, Luna,' Hermione answered. "'Come over this afternoon for tea.' Luna nodded seriously and walked away from the group. "'Do either of you know what that's about?' Draco asked, indicating Luna's retreating form with his chin. Harry shrugged. Probably some cryptic statement that you won't understand until the middle of the night where it will wake you up out of a dead sleep but will reaffirm why you should take her seriously, even when you don't understand. They walked out of the dungeons of the Ministry. Harry and the Aurors walked with them to the atrium. Draco pulled Harry aside while Hermione was distracted talking to one of the Aurors. Why did you beat him up? Draco asked. Harry looked hard at him. I meant what I said back there. I'll take the secret to my grave. "'If it's about Hermione, doesn't she have the right to know?' Draco persisted. Harry sighed. "'I questioned him earlier this morning with Veritaserum about obliviating Hermione. I lost my cool. I almost killed him. I still want to kill him. She doesn't need to know, and neither do you. I'm asking you to trust me that it's better this way.' Draco felt sick at what Harry was telling him without telling him. He didn't want to know the details. Sometimes it was kinder that way. He had a feeling that if he did know, he would go back and kill Weasley himself. Slowly. "'I know people that are in Azkaban. My father's gone, but I could pull some strings,' Draco offered. "'The world would be better without Ronald Weasley in it.' Harry gave him a look that made Draco wonder how many Slytherin tendencies the boy who lived had lurking in his depths. "'I know people, too. Just go about your lives and forget about him. Ronald Weasley will truly be nothing more than a fading memory. For all of us.' 